You are listening to a podcast from Camden Nazarene. Camden Nazarene is a Christ-centered and community-focused church located in Camden, South Carolina. We gather for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m., and you're invited to be our guest this Sunday. I love being able to, to make sure that we understand and we can read from all the way from Genesis to Revelation that we can get the full picture, the, the full scope of what God is doing. You know, I love the, I love the, the panoramic view on, on your phone. Those of you who may not know it, but you have a, a feature. If you have a smartphone, you have a feature. It's called the panoramic view. Uh, and, you know, you take it, you can start here, and you just you can scan it, and then you, what you end up with one is one, one big, wide picture. You can see a you can see an entire room. And I, I love that because, you know, when you look at a regular picture, when you look at regular, just a regular portrait, a, a picture, you know, you're only seeing a piece of what really took place there, right? I mean, if I, if, if I took a picture of just this right here, the, the story would only be these few folks in this picture. And, and everyone else who saw the picture, they wouldn't know about the rest of you. So, But when you take a panoramic, you get the, you get the whole view, you get the entire view. And so my question is, do you ever, when you ever read in the Bible, do you feel like that you're only seeing a, maybe a small snapshot? And I believe that the key to understanding the Bible is seeing the complete tapestry of the Bible, seeing the complete thread that, 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 that weaves in and out of the Bible. I want us to see the, see the Bible and panorama mode, if you will. The way the Bible is written, it's, 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 it's not always an easy task. I mean, think about this. So we know the story of David. We, we, we've heard of King David. And we know that he was you know, a great king, the greatest king of Israel. We know that he accomplished so much. But we also know that in 2 Samuel... We also know that we that he had that he fell. He fell from he fell into sin. He he made wrong decisions with with Bathsheba. So we see that in 2 Samuel. And then you, you flip forward in your Bible a few a few books into the wisdom literature of the portion of your Bible, and you run into a Psalms, a Psalm like Psalm 51 that was written by David. And you may know this, you may not know this, but that Psalm 51 was written right after, right as. David realized what he had done with Bathsheba, and he realized, as, as the prophet said, you are the man, you are the man that is in the wrong. When he realized his sin, he wrote Psalm 51. And you may not always catch that because 2 Samuel was in this part of the Bible, and then you have to flip a few books forward to wisdom literature to catch the psalm. And so the story helps us, helps us piece all of that together. We want to we, we want to see the full story, and of course, in order to be able to see the full story, we've got to we've got to see the beginning. Don't don't you uh, when you when you when you go into a, a theater when you watch a movie, uh, you you got to you, the first 10, 15 minutes it really helps you see what's going on. It really sets up what you are to expect as as that movie unfolds. You ever met somebody who? Uh, they love to come in on the middle of something, and they're like, so what's going on here? Who's this? I'm like, uh, just, just watch it, and you'll figure it out, okay? Just, just calm down. 
But, you know, you probably know someone like that. You know, they come in on the first 20, 30 minutes. It's like, well, what's to ask all these questions? And you're like, you're just zoned in. But you got to catch that beginning, that action-packed beginning to really to understand what's going on. And so the beginning of God's story, man, it is action-packed. You could say that the beginning of God's story, it really begins with a big bang. Ha, ha, ha. And it really does. It begins the story. It begins with a big bang. People say, "Do you believe in the big bang theory?" I was like, "I do." Man, the big bang of God, and the, and and God comes in with a big bang, with the beginning of His story. You look at Genesis one. In the beginning, in the beginning, God. In fact, you can just stop there. In the beginning, God. I can, have, I can have conversations with, with all sorts of, of scientists. We can, I believe re- religion and science are not, are, they're not to be opposed to one another. In fact, they really can complement one another because whatever your theory, you got just know that in the beginning, God. For us as believers, what, what we confess is that God was at the very beginning of all of this that we know. So it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we we, we see how how, how God chose to create. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you got to think about this. You know, the the Bible, it just didn't drop out of the sky one day. You know, people not just walking along saying, hmm, oh, a Bible, great. It's even in English. Awesome. Uh, And much to popular disbelief, or much, much to popular belief, the Bible didn't drop down in King James Version either, okay? I know a lot of people have a, have a hard time with that. No one in this room, but you probably got family members, you know? They think that, you know, God himself wrote that King James Version. You ain't going to tell them any different. But I got news for you. The Bible just didn't drop down out of the sky, whether it be NIV or, or King James. A, a lot of our story, a lot of the story of God was, was passed down from generation to generation among the Hebrew people. It, was in, it really wasn't written down until, honestly, until when they go into exile. When they go into exile and they're so concerned with making sure that their identity remains true to the people of God, they said, man, we've got to write this stuff down. And, and even, even Genesis, even these, these stories that, that are attributed to Moses, these first five books that are, the, that are attributed to, uh, to Moses, these are stories that would have been written around the 6th century B.C., actually pinned to, to parchment or pinned to paper because the Hebrew people were having to combat, making sure that they stayed as they, their identity remained as the people of God. And there was all these theories about how, how the world was created. And they said, no, 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 let me tell you, let me make sure that we understand how the world came to be. Let me make sure that you realize that the God, the one true God, Yahweh, let me tell you how he, that God, the one true God, created. And so Genesis 1 is the denial that anything, any creature or person in the world should be worshipped, for there is but one God who creates all things. And so that's the very beginning of the story, the very man, the first big bang that we see, if you want to use that language, 
is that in the beginning God, and it sets this whole thing up to know that only God is to be created. I mean, only God is to be worshipped because he is the one who has created. And then, and then you get the verse 2. Now the earth was, was formless and empty, or formless and void. If you're, if you're reading that family member's King James Version, it'll say formless and void, void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the, look at, that, look at that, that language there, formless and void, or formless and empty. That word, those two words there are Hebrew words. One, some of my favorite Hebrew words, tohu and bohu. All right, these, these are, those are the Hebrew words there for, uh, for formless and void. It literally means chaos. One of my favorite theologians, uh, he, he kind of uses the analogy when he's talking about tohu and bohu. It sounds like, man, these two, these two big wrestlers that are being introduced into the NWO or WWE uh, wrestling ring. You know, in this corner, Tohu and Bohu. Man, they're going to just cause all sorts of chaos. And that's what you see here at the beginning. The earth was formless and void. There was Tohu and Bohu. There was, there was chaos that had dominion, that had control. Some of you are like, man, I've heard about the NWO in a long time. I saw a guy the other day wearing an NWO t-shirt. I'm like, dude, you're from the, you're from the late 90s, right? I don't know. I haven't kept it wrestling for a long time, so I don't even know if NWO is still even a thing, but it used to be. <clears throat> Isn't that where Hulk Hogan went after? I don't know. Anyway. Um, and so this, this chaos, tohu and bohu, and, and, and it says God was hovering over the waters. Again, we see another description of chaos, another description of trouble. When you see this, the, the water image in the Bible, it means, it means trouble is present. And so I love this image. God took a situation that was chaotic and troubled, and he gave it form in order to create the world. We serve a God who, who takes Tohu and bohu, who takes chaos, who takes trouble, that, that this, this, this image that the, of, the, of chaos that thinks it's going gonna, it's gonna to rule the day, and God comes along, and he gives all of that form. And then look at verse 3. In verse 3, it sets up a series of let there be type of statements. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And so, and it goes on. You go, you're familiar with the creation narrative, but it's, I love all these let there be statements. Has anyone ever took take time to notice that? That it's very specific that God says, let there be. Not that there's going to be light, but it's let there be light. Let there be vegetation. Let there be animals. Let there. So, do you know that we serve a we serve a mighty and a powerful God. Do you also know that our God does not use this power and might to make or to coerce us to do anything? At the very beginning, you see at the very, at the very fiber of creation that creation has this, this free will, that creation has this free moral agency, and you see it at the very beginning when God says, let there be. 
And so the question that I want to ask us is, how are we, how are we, as we, as we move through God's story, if, if we all agree that we have some freedom, that we have free will, how are we using our free will? How are we allowing the story of God to shape us in a way that we are choosing, that we are choosing to live the, the life that God has for us? So we know we, we are to serve the one true God who is above all else. We also understand that our God took a, took a world which was formless and void or chaotic, and he gave it order just by speaking creation into motion. And so now we see another big bang of why God created and who God created. So we know why God, we, God created because God is a relational God. The very fact that our God created us and all that is in the world is proof enough to know that our God is relational. We serve a God who longs to be in relationship with his creation. I believe that God, he created out of love. That even at the creation narrative, you see at the very core of who God is, is a foundation, is a character of love. And so creation was, his, was the first acts of love by our God, whose very character is holy love. And then you see, you see God's biggest passion then come to life. So when he created, because he's a relational God, he created out of love. And then as we move through this Genesis, this creation narrative, we see God's biggest passion. Look at verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, we, that, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and the livestock and all the white animals and all the creatures that, that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So a couple of things that's important to note here. We see that God creates his greatest and his, his, his greatest passion, which is humanity, you and I. I'm convinced you also see here a you see here there's a obviously there's a difference. There are there are attributes that are male, there are attributes are female, but I want you to see here that there's no, that doesn't mean that one is better than the other. Like in this chapter one, we get the image that he created them, male and female. It's not until chapter two. And so verses one and two, or chapters one and two, are, it's really the same story, but it's told from a different perspective. So it's not until chapter two that you get the, the personal pronouns that we, we come to know of Adam and Eve. And that we, we get the story of how, of how Eve came to be. But please know that from the very beginning, God created them male and female. So we should not live life thinking that there's one that's above the other. Yes, there are stark differences. We celebrate those differences, right? We live in a culture where it doesn't, <laughs> you know? And it's, it's interesting that, that the, the Hebrew word for humanity is this, this word that is pronounced Adam. Adam is is this word that means humanity. And then from that, we get the, the, that's used to give us the personal pronoun of Adam. And so we see, 
God creates what I would argue is his, his biggest passion. We've been made in the image of God. You and I, we've been made in the image of God. So there, there are so many implications that go with that. But for today, it simply means that we have been given the freedom to choose and the ability to, to speak back to God, that we can communicate, that we can have this relationship with our Creator God. And so what do we do with this freedom? John Wesley said that we are to, quote, to exist and to love. Exist for, uh, for, for theologian John Wesley literally meant that we as humans are meant to live in this awareness of our freedom to choose. We, we were not meant to be puppets on a string, but to freely choose to glorify God with our words and with our actions. Now remember, we are, we are totally dependent upon our maker. He most definitely is our, he's our life sustainer. However, we still have the ability to choose whether or not we will respond to God. So I'm convinced of this. This is the first thing that, that I think we, don't, don't forget this. God's design is that we use our freedom to choose to love just the way he chose to love. This is what God would have us to do with our freedom. And so the Bible story, it continues with the, the Big Bang, the big movement of the fall. The, the rebellion of our, of our first parents. We, we see that our parents, they, our first parents, they didn't use their freedom wisely. And thus we have the big movement of the fall. We see this in, in the creation narrative of, of, Genesis, of Genesis 2 where the, the, these two choices are introduced. Look at, look at verse 9 of chapter 2. Genesis 2, 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was a tree of life and the tree of knowledge and of good and evil. In verse 17. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we're familiar with the story. We know that, that the serpent was the craftiest of all creation. And the serpent comes to Eve uh, one day there in the garden and says, Do you really believe what God is saying? Do you really believe that, that you're going to die? Let me tell you what God doesn't want you to know. God doesn't want you to know that when you eat that fruit, you're going to have just as much knowledge as him. And so we see very early that, that, that their, their, their freedom, they're, 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 they're given this choice of how to use their, their freedom. And so we know the story. We know that Eve took and ate and, and, and she saw that it was, it was desirable and she, she gave it to her husband, you know, and like a good husband, just whatever the wife said. Okay, yeah, sounds great. And, um, <laughs> right? Sounds good, babe. Happy wife, happy life. All right, you know. Um, I'm just kidding. They're, they're equally guilty here in the story. <laughs> and they eat and, and, and so as soon as they ate, they realized what they had done. You know, the, the rest of the Bible after that, from Genesis 3 and 4 on, the rest of the Bible is about God's pursuit to get us back. 
I, I don't know if you, if you realize that or not. But from then on, we, the common thread is this beautiful story of God working to redeem all things, to, 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 to get us back, to, to, for us to, to get back to the image that we were created in. Because when, when sin entered the world, this image that we are created in, this image, is, uh, it's marred, it's, it's distorted because of sin. And then Genesis chapters 4 and 9 it's, it's just various stories, whether it's Cain and Abel or Tower of Babel. I mean, all, all of these stories, it, 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 it presents sin and the sin nature and, and the permeating nature of the human race is, is, the next, is the next you get in the story. So then God chooses Noah to build an ark. God does a, a do-over of the human race after the, after the judgment of floodwaters. The, the floods erase the wicked human, the flood erased the, the wicked human race. But it's interesting that but Noah's nature from his family was not erased. You look at Genesis 9, 20 and 23, that uh, after the flood and waters ease, Noah goes and plants a vineyard. He uses these vineyards to grow grapes. He takes these grapes and makes wine. He has too much of that wine. And uh, he ends up in a not very presentable way in his tent. He's found by his family. Uh, not presentable for company. You can read that and you can see what, what state you, that Noah was found in. So it's, it's, it's interesting that, that God makes this move, but yet there's still... There's still this, 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 this nature, there's still this freedom that we have to contend with. So we continue to see God making big moves towards humanity. We see this in, in Noah's story. If you want to rewind back to Adam and Eve, I'm convinced that we see this in Genesis 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. When Adam and Eve, they understood that they were naked. They understood that they had been exposed. They understood all that was going on. And so the Lord said, they had taken some fig leaves. They tried to cover themselves up with their own doings. And then God, God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, I don't know if you've ever paid a whole lot of attention to that verse. But for me, I see it as a move of God towards humanity. A move of God to, it's going to take some sacrifice in order for them to be redeemed. They're not going to be able to redeem themselves with fig leaves and cover themselves up. If, if, if humanity is going to be redeemed, it's going to take, something's going to have to die. And so we see the first, with the first inkling, even here in Genesis, that God will continue to move towards humanity. So from the creation story, we discover the value of human beings. God wants to be with you. Think about that. Think about that. God, I mean, when you read this story, you're just like, man, good night. Why didn't, if I was God, I'd just think I would have not just done the flood and I would have wiped Noah out too and just, man, just started the whole thing all over again. But what I think it demonstrates is God's movement towards us, a movement of love, a movement of redemption for you and I. So the clothes being 
sewn together, the story of Noah, it represents a big move by God towards humanity. But think about that. Think about that. Think of all that, that, that God is, is doing to get, us, to get us back. I hope that communicates to you. I hope that when you, what you see from the story of God, that you are valuable. That, 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 we, that we have value in the eyes of God. That no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, no matter the mistakes that you've made, you have been created in the image of God. And yes, that image, that image is marred. Yes, that image is distorted. But God has made a way back to him. Of course, we're on this side of the story, so we understand that all of this points to Jesus. Even, the, even from the very beginning of, of, of a, a skin, an animal having to be shed so that, so that skin can be made for the clothes for Adam and Eve, it all points to a sacrifice, and that sacrifice, all of that sacrifice comes together, it comes to its pinnacle in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The ultimate expression of God's love. God giving himself for you and I, the ultimate expression that we are valued, that God is moving towards us, that the, that the common thread in the story is God's movement towards us. So as we, we begin to, to wrap it up, I want you to know that just as God took chaos at the very beginning and he gave it form and he he gave it shape. God wants to take the chaos in your life and he wants to give it shape and he wants to give it form. Maybe your chaos is represented by a, just a, a very volatile family situation. Maybe, maybe you come from a broken home. Maybe, uh, maybe there's, there's just not a lot of evidence that maybe you're, that there's a lot of love, that, but... but and, and perhaps that causes you chaos in your life. Would you, would you know that there's a God who loves you so much that he wants to take that chaos and he wants to give it shape and he wants to give it form in your life? I think what we're going to see as we go through this story is God goes to the ends of the earth. God will stop at nothing to make sure that you understand, that we understand that, that his love for us. There's a, there's a songwriter that, that wrote an, a newer song, and I'll be honest with you, the, the chorus, the, the words are a little bit, they're a little interesting. When I first read it, I said, I don't, I don't know about this, because this, this, this writer chooses to, to use the phrase that, the phrase of the reckless love of God. And I want to say, no, 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 God, I, my God's not reckless. I, I, don't, I don't believe that my God is reckless. But then when I begin to look at the, the Bible closer, and I, I begin to really understand what the, the songwriter is trying to commute, uh, communicate, it's not that God is reckless, but it's, it's that his love is so vast. His, his love is so great, it's so deep, and it's so wide that from a human perspective, Wow. It'll stop at nothing 
to reach you and I. So when, when we sing the reckless love of God, we're not saying that our God, his character is reckless, not saying that at all. But it's using a very modern vernacular to describe that his love will stop at nothing to reach you and I. That his love will stop at nothing to take the chaos in your life and give it form and give it shape. His love will stop at nothing to take that image that is distorted by sin and make and give us a way to, to be recreated in the image of God, to have a, a new creation. So let's stand and let's proclaim this today. I don't know what you're going through, but please know that God loves you. I don't know what identity that you're battling with, but please know that God wants to speak identity into your life, that you are a son, that you are a daughter of the God of the Most High, and that he loves you very, very much. Let's sing together. Thank you for visiting camdenaz.church.